Well, as we look at this Friend and Family Day, this has traditionally been our Friend Day every year, this time of September. And so I'm going to bring a message this morning uh, about friendship. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24, uh, the Bible says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So I want to speak this morning on this thought, no greater friend. And let's pray again. Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you for your word. May you empower it. May you bless it. Holy Spirit, may you work freely amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we talk about uh, friendship and we talk about friends, some people seem to have all kinds of friends. I mean, some people are just very outgoing. Uh, they are magnetic in their personality and they just, people flock to them. Uh, and so, and in others, it's more difficult. It's more of a challenge uh, to be, have a lot of friends or to be uh, the kind of person that is comfortable with a lot of friends even. Uh, and so we're going to look at the difference and, and really what does it mean to truly be a friend, to have a friend biblically this morning. A large newspaper in the UK many years ago offered a cash prize for the best answer to the question, what is the shortest way to London? And so all kinds of answers were received and a lot of it had to do with, uh, with where the person lived that, that got the question. You know, that you would answer that question, what's the best way to get to Baytown? Well, depending on whether you came this morning from, uh, from Dayton or from Houston or from Beaumont or from Texas City or from somewhere here in town, uh, that answer could look very different. And so they got all kinds of questions or answers and, uh, and uh, the and responses to it. But the winning question, what is the shortest way to London, was this. The shortest way to London is in good company. And you know, so often the best way to get someplace is with people that you can enjoy being around. And certainly uh, friendship should be that. Another English publication offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Thousands of answers and responses were received, and and uh, the some of the some of the answers that they received were the following. Uh, this was a good one: one who multiplies joys and divides grief. And so that's a good friend. Another one is one who understands our silence. And then another: a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Another answered: a watch. Be, which beats true for all time and never runs down. But the winning entry to that question was this, a friend, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. When you stop and you look about what a friend is and what a friend should be, I want to submit to you this morning that there is no greater friend than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When you look at our text this morning, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and uh, and uh, sometimes that's a hard thing for us to achieve or to be on a consistent basis. But then at the end of it, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now contextually this morning, he's just making a, a, a reference to many relationships that are had. Uh, we see David who became the king before he became king, uh, being very close uh, and, and a good friend with Jonathan, Saul's son who was, uh, by, uh, by the human way of doing things, the rightful heir to the throne. But whenever God proclaimed that David would be the next king, uh, Jonathan uh, accepted that. 
He accepted the will of the Lord. He stood with his friend. And the Bible says that they loved each other uh, very much. And when they had to separate, they wept uh, because David had to flee from Saul and, uh, and had to go out. And uh, Jonathan was a friend who was closer to David than any of his brothers. And he had several. Uh, I know many brothers are very close. Uh, I've met families and seen families where the brothers were so close that uh, nothing would ever come between them and certainly no other person would ever come between them. And then there are other families where the brothers may not be that close at all. And uh, I have, I have uh, several half-brothers and I know none of them well. Uh, and so, and it's just the way that our lives worked out and shaped up. And so, uh, one of them I didn't even meet until I was in my 30s. And, uh, and another, the, it grew up, we grew up in the same home, except I was 12 years older. And was, uh, when I graduated from high school, it was the same day that he graduated from kindergarten. And I left home and uh, never lived at home again. And for many of those years through his high school, I lived five or 600 miles away from family. We, uh, we know each other, but we're not really close. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the, the point being, uh, that one that comes that is a true friend <clears throat> can be closer to us at times than even a blood family member. That one that's there for us. That one that is consistently a part of our lives, that's invested in us. And so uh, when we look at friendship and when we look at what God uh, has designed in it, uh, as opposed to what it is accepted as within the world, I think that we'll see some contrast. Do you know even God had friends? The Bible doesn't say that about many people in the scripture, but it does say it uh, about a couple. And of course, Jesus is a friend to sinners. We understand that this morning. But uh, for God to use that same terminology, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 7, the nation of Israel, described as the seed of Abraham, uh, says, The seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. Uh, and so reference being made that Abraham, God, has been your friend, will be your friend forever. And so those who witnessed the relationship said Abraham is God's friend. But I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 8 that God also responded uh, when speaking to Israel and he said to them, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Uh, and so not only did those that witnessed see that Abraham and God were friends, but God himself referred to Abraham as Abraham, my friend. And James chapter number 2 and verse number 23, the Bible speaking here of Abraham says that Abraham believed God and it was imputed or it was put on his account unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. I tell you, 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 you could never have a greater friend than Jesus. And we, nothing could ever better be said about us than that we are the friend of God. People made that determination not because of what they said, but because of what they saw, what they witnessed, what they experienced. Moses, it was said of him in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And so when we look and understand that if I would be a man with friends or a lady with friends, that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
May I say that this morning, if you live your whole life and have more than one or two real biblical friends, you are blessed. There are a lot of people that are friendly. There are a lot of people that will befriend you to gain something from you. But a true friend is very difficult to come by. It is a precious commodity. And so when we understand uh, that God can be that kind of friend to us and wants us to be that kind of friend to him, uh, we have to ask the question then, so what is a real friend? What does it mean to be a friend? And then who is my real friend or who are my real friends? The world defines friendship and I, I'm not going to give you a textbook definition. I'm just going to give you a loose uh, observational definition of uh, the, the general population's idea of a friend these days in my, my view. It's simply someone that goes along with whatever I want or whatever I think I need. Someone that will look and be supportive of whatever I say I'm going to do. Even if what I'm going to do is self-destructive or harmful to others or is going to lead me to disaster. I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that if I was someone who was out, that was doing something that was going to lead to my imminent death, and my friends were helping me to achieve that, and then were going to stand around my casket after I'm dead talking about how tragic it was and they wish they could have done something to prevent it, that's really not the kind of friends that I need. I don't need, I mean, if you, if you struggle, uh, if you're a person who struggles with addiction this morning, those people that come around you on payday aren't your friends. Those, those people that hang out with you uh, and that party with you uh, that are going to mourn your passing when you get something that's laced with fentanyl, they're not your friend. They, they claim to be your friend. They'll try to convince you that they're friend. They'll be nice to you when you've got something to offer. But when the well runs dry, they're going to be disappearing. It's amazing the disappearing act that non-magicians can perform uh, whenever their crutch runs, runs out of cash. And so my point simply this morning is this. Is that we have a whole culture wrapped around us that truly believes that they're your friend if they just tell you what you want to hear, never challenge you when you're wrong, and go along and help aid and abet you to destroy your own life. That's not friendship. A real friend isn't the one who is trying to intervene uh, whenever I've been uh, in a drug-induced coma for weeks. The real friend is the one that got in my way the very first time that I was tempted. The one that stepped up and made the difference. Real friends are not necessarily always telling us what we want to hear. A real friend tells us what we need to hear. Amen. And I want to show you this morning that a biblical true friend is someone who keeps me on the right path. A real friend is that one who will do what's necessary to keep me headed in the right direction and pleasing God, keeping me on course for life. So we're going to look at three basic things this morning uh, about friendship, that friendship that can stick closer than a brother. And uh, the Bible tells us uh, that a friend, that Jesus is a friend that is true. 
He's not a wishy-washy friend. He's not a fair-weather friend. He's not uh, a friend of, uh, of, uh, that's seeking his own convenience. He is a true friend. And what I mean by that is this. In Hebrews chapter number 13, in verse number 8, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want you to see, first of all, this morning that this friend that is true and that Jesus being a friend that is true means that he's a friend that's steady. He's not volatile. He's not up and down. He's not weeping one minute and raging the next minute and uh, lost in a drift the minute after that. He is steady. He's just there. He can be counted on. He can be depended upon. You don't have to wonder if he's going to show up for the crucial moments in your life when you need him. Why? Because he doesn't change. He's not having a bad day today. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll get that and I'll get, I'll get text messages almost uh, every week on Sunday morning about, well, this happened and this came up and that happened and I'm not going to be there today, Pastor, and pray for us. And, and I'm not dismissing the legitimacy of some of those calls. I, I'm just saying this morning that if you miss because you had a bad day or you didn't make it to something you were committed to be at because you're having a bad day or, or if you miss some time at work because you had a bad week, I, I'm just telling you this morning that Jesus never ever ever has a bad day Amen. he always has good days even when he went to the cross I mean I could how could a day be any worse than dying on a cross but the Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame he wasn't focused on the pain of the moment he was focused on the joy that it was going to bring Amen. and so when we look and we understand this morning Jesus is steady you know, there are a lot of people in my life that I have to wonder uh, if they're going to be there when I need them. There are some that uh, certainly that we all have in our lives that we know that we can count on. But we all have those people in our life that we, we just wonder, are they going to come through? Are they going to make it? And you, uh, you, you, you know, they're committed to do this and, uh, and you've got to have a backup plan whenever you've got this going on. And I, certainly uh, in church leadership, that's true. There are some people that you know from uh, everything, from, from every aspect of the public service all the way down, uh, you know and you learn real fast the people that you can count on to come through and the ones that you better have a backup plan in place or things are going to fall apart uh, potentially if they don't come through and I'm just saying that Jesus always comes through he may not always come through the way I think he's going to or when I want him to but when it but he always comes through at just the right time he's steady he's not changing he's not mad at me today and and then uh, overjoyed with me tomorrow and having that affect the relationship oh I can make him upset with me sure but he's not going to fail me because he is. And if he is upset with me, he's justified in being so. I'm just saying this morning that a friend that is true is a friend that is steady. Not only that, he is an honest friend. And what we really need a good dose of this morning is friends in our lives that are willing to be honest. Titus chapter 1 in verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, and he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness and the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. May I say this morning that a true friend is honest. Do you know that it's not even possible for God to tell you a little white lie? That God's always going to speak the truth? 
Now, that's a good thing, but it's not always a comfortable thing. You know, sometimes God speaking truth to my heart means that he's rebuking me for sin in my life. That if God is going to speak true when I come and, you know, you have somebody that's a friend and you go and you say, well, what do you think about this uh, thing that I did? Or, uh, or, or what do you think about, put it this way, uh, a wife comes to her husband and says, what do you think about this outfit? You better tell her what she wants to hear, fellas, or your life's not going to be good. But that's not being true. You know God's incapable of telling a falsehood? It is not possible for God to lie to you. And when we look at what a real friend is and should be, is that real friend should be honest. It doesn't mean that a real friend will be honest in a hateful way. But it means they'll speak honestly. When you go to God in prayer and you ask him about something, and if it's wrong, he'll tell you. When you read the Bible honestly and let the Bible read you, it'll speak to you about the things in your life that are displeasing to the Lord. It'll encourage you in the things that are pleasing to the Lord. It'll lift you up, but it'll also humble you at the same time. And God has given us a reflection of himself in his word that honestly reflects who and what he is and who and what we are. A true friend, a friend that is true is honest. Not only that, uh, but we see uh, that a real friend, a true friend is a friend that's there. Jesus is always there. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 uh, tell us this, let your conversation, and that's your lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's right here with us this morning, a friend that is true. And that true friendship is a friend who is steady. He is a friend who is honest and he is a friend who is there. May God help us to realize that we have a lot of friends in our life that sometimes are less than steady. Sometimes they may be less than honest and they may not always be there, but that friend Jesus always will be. The second thing that I want you to consider about this friend that sticks closer than a brother this morning is that a friend, he is a friend that is tenacious. I mean, if you need a friend to go to war with you, Jesus is your man. He is your God. He's tenacious. He's not easily defeated. He can't be defeated at all, in fact. He's not uh, going to abandon. and He is going to offer protection. Uh, and so we stop and we uh, think and reflect. I saw an uh, a, a article in the news, uh, I think it was just yesterday, uh, about a police officer who was, uh, was shielding a student uh, in a school beatdown, basically. Uh, and so I didn't even really look at beyond the headline to see where it was, but uh, there was a student that was being attacked uh, and he just shielded that student with his own body uh, as, as the, the, the attackers were trying to uh, take care or hurt this younger child. A friend who will defend. A friend that has proven that he'll sacrifice for us, that has sacrificed for us, that uh, gives us and does for us what we need. And Psalm 71 and verse 3 says, Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. 
If you need somewhere to retreat this morning, if you're in the midst of, uh, of battle this morning and the world is collapsing around you this morning, may I uh, suggest to you that Jesus is the fortress in which you can take refuge. He is a rock upon which you uh, can be defended and supported. Uh, he is a friend that will defend, but he's a true friend. He's also a friend who will rebuke, and he's tenacious about that. He'll encourage us, yes, but he also rebukes us at times in Proverbs chapter 27. In verse 6, the Bible tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, that friend by the world's definition that just tells you what you want to hear or that uses words to manipulate you, those are the deceitful kisses of the enemy. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's faithful to tell us what's broken, to tell us what needs to be fixed. In verse 17 of Proverbs 27, uh, he says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I've written in the margin of my uh, Bible by that passage, the characteristics of a real friend. And I've written there that a real friend helps. A real friend is there in that time when you need help. They help you to reach your potential. They help you to stay on course. A real friend helps me to stay focused on what's important. I have written that a real friend is humble or humbles. He tells me the truth. He tells me what I need to hear. A real friend uh, is someone that hangs on through my successes and my failures. That real friend, that true friend is there. There's no greater description of who and what Jesus is in the life of a Christian than that. He's someone who's always there. He's tenacious. Yes, he'll defend you, but he'll also rebuke you when you're wrong and whenever you need uh, to be readjusted through life. Thirdly and lastly this morning, we see that he is a friend who is thorough. He is a friend who is thorough. He doesn't do anything halfway. You know, it's a good thing to be in an environment where things are seen through to completion. Uh, I, I used to have a uh, a staff member at a church that I pastored that I kind of inherited. And, uh, and whenever there was something going on, he was always the first one to volunteer. But in the years that he was there, I can't honestly say that I can't think of one single thing that he ever finished. So he'd come sometimes and say, well, well, you know, what's up with this or what's up with that? And I just wanted to just say, just finish something. What do you need me to do? I need you to finish something. What do you want me to do about that? I want you to finish it. How do you want me to approach this? I don't care how you approach it. Just get it done. Finish it. And I'm just saying this morning that Jesus always finishes the job. He always uh, gets the point across. He is a friend who is thorough. And what I mean by that is he is a friend who thoroughly reveals to me my condition. What's your condition this morning? When we look and we understand in Ephesians chapter number 2 uh, and verse number 1, it says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. When we were born, we were born in sin. We sin because we have a sinful nature. You never have to teach a cow how to moo. It just does it because it's its nature. We, we uh, you know, Brother Roger and Miss Catherine have, uh, bought a place out in the country a little bit and, uh, and they've been there a couple months and they've already killed about eight or nine copperheads. 
We were talking about that the other day. I said copperheads are live born, right? And yes, they're live born. They're not in an egg. They don't hatch out. They're born alive, uh, fully venomous. And uh, you know the thing about reptiles is that they don't have any protection from mom like other animals do. They just, they just are born and they instinctively know what to do because it's in their nature. It's in that snake's nature to bite you. If you're its prey, it's in its nature to, uh, to kill you with its venom and then uh, to eat you. They don't have anybody to teach them. They just know what to do. And we don't need anybody to teach us how to do wrong. I mean, as you look at those precious children that were up here on the platform this morning, and, uh, and a, a couple of them are already old enough uh, to where mom and dad will fully and readily admit that, yeah, my kid's a sinner. <laughs> and so... You know, we were, we were, I was talking about that with Chris and Joanna one day, and Chris just keeps saying, yeah, they take after mom. <laughs> we look and we understand this morning uh, that we don't have to be trained to do the wrong thing. It comes natural to us. We have to teach not to be selfish. We have to teach the right things to do, the right character traits to have. Why? Because we were born dead. The spirit that God put in us whenever he created us died whenever Adam sinned in the garden. It's dead. And until I'm born again, till that spirit's brought back to life, till that spirit is quickened in me, to use a biblical term here, I'm dead in my sin. I'm saying this morning that Jesus is a friend who thoroughly reveals my condition. You know, the world's, friend, the world's type of friend is going to say, you know what, you, you'll be all right. You're a good person. You'll go to heaven. But a true friend says, you were born in sin and without a Savior, you'll spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. That's not being harsh. That's not being cruel. That's not being unkind. That's speaking the truth. It doesn't mean, listen, the, the fires of hell, the lake of fire will be filled with not just people that we look at and say, oh man, they're horrible. They have to go there. They're going to be filled with a lot of good people too. Because those good people trusted in themselves and not in Jesus. And Jesus thoroughly tells us about our condition. You were dead in trespasses and sin. He says it again in Colossians uh, and uh, whenever he uh, puts it this way, as the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, in uh, verse number 13, when he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, he lets us know thoroughly that we are lost, that we were born in sin, and that we have need of a Savior. A real friend will thoroughly reveal to us our standing, our condition. And Jesus has thoroughly revealed through his word that me, dependent upon myself, being a good person. Listen, if you're dependent upon going to church, about being baptized, about doing this and about doing that to go to heaven, you're misled. That's not what the Bible says. I understand that organized religion teaches that. I understand that many churches teach that, but the church is not the authority. God is the authority. And the Word of God is the authority. And the Word of God says that I can do nothing to save myself. 
All I can do is humble myself before him, realizing that I am destitute and without hope, and crying out to Christ, realizing that he is God, that he has paid for my sin, that he rose from the grave victorious over that sin, and I can seek his forgiveness, and I accept the gift of the eternal life that he offers, and in that moment he makes me alive again. That spirit comes to life. My spirit is quickened within me, and in that moment I become his child. Jesus is a friend who thoroughly reveals to us that condition. And Jesus is a friend who thoroughly provides a remedy. He doesn't just come to us and say, I'm your friend, you're a sinner, and there's no hope for you. Jesus comes and says, I'm your friend. And there's nothing that you can do about your condition. But there's something that I have done about your condition. Would you let me help you? Would you let me love you? I've already sacrificed for you. I've already won the victory for you. Would you accept my victory? Would you accept my sacrifice? Would you accept my love? He thoroughly provides us a remedy in Philippians chapter number 2. In verses 5 through 11, he comes to us and he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He's describing to us the process. He had to become human flesh. He had to walk amongst us. He had to live a sinless life. He had to be virgin born. He had to be God while he was yet man. And he never stopped being God, but he was always completely man. So, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. You don't always have to understand everything. Salvation and trust in Christ is a matter of faith. Yeah. It is trusting and believing what God says because God is more than we can comprehend. Amen. And if we understand that he was virgin born and trust that by faith, and if we understand that we're sinners, we can trust that by experience. And if we trust that he died on Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt, and that it was an acceptable sacrifice for the sin of all mankind to the Father in heaven. And if we'll trust that he went to the grave and that three days later he got up resurrected from the dead. That doesn't make sense, I understand. But it's not a matter of making sense, it's a matter of faith. Do I accept that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he says he's done by faith? I would submit to you that no matter what you believe this morning, you believe it by faith because you can't go back and see whatever it is that you believe. Any more than I can go back and see Jesus getting up out of the grave. But by faith, by the evidence before me, by the evidence of changed lives, I have chosen to accept by faith, a faith that God gave me through the principles and the revelation of his word. A faith that he wants to give you this morning. He being found in fashion as a man humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow uh, of the things of, in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is a friend. 
who, yes, has thoroughly shown us our condition, but he also is a friend who has thoroughly provided us a remedy to that condition. He comes this morning offering himself in sacrifice for your sin. He's already been sacrificed. He's already won the victory. He's already been resurrected from the grave. He's at the right hand of God the Father this morning, preparing a place for those that trust in Him as their Savior and praying for you. That's what He's doing this morning. He's right here with us, gathered in His name. He is exalted, and there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Nothing else can save you. No one else can save you. You cannot save yourself from the punishment of your sin. You cannot save yourself from the power of that sin over you. No one can. Well, pastor, I'm a good person. I'm glad that you're a good person. I like to think I'm a good person most of the time too. My wife might dispute it every once in a while, but for the most part, I think she'd say I'm a good person. And so, uh, but it's not about whether I'm good or whether I'm not. It's not about whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. It's not about what kind of a year it's been or not been. It's about what is my condition. And the sad fact is, is that we were born in sin. And that if we're left in our sinful condition, then we will spend an eternity separated from God paying for that sin. But his love for us has paid that debt. The sin has been paid for. I don't need to go to the lake of fire to pay for it because Jesus has already paid for it. But in order for me to receive him, I must acknowledge that I have sinned against God. I must acknowledge that there's nothing that I can do except repent of my sin and ask him to forgive me and to save me and to be my savior. And my friends, if you do that this morning, you would leave here with the greatest friend that anyone could ever have. No one would ever surpass it. I'm saying this morning that you have no greater need than a friend like Jesus. We have no greater need. There has been no greater love expressed than the love that God has expressed to us. In John chapter 15 in verse number 13, and many of you would know the passage well, uh, even without turning to it, in uh, John 15 and 13, uh, when he says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. Jesus gave his life for you. Yep. Jesus gave his life for me. He had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it up again. But there's no greater love than that. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, he says uh, to us that uh, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That as Jesus gave his life on Calvary's cross for us, so should we give our lives to serve him and to share him with those who need him, which is everyone. There is no greater love, we have no greater need, and there is no greater friend than Jesus. Is he your friend this morning? Are you his friend this morning? If you're not, you can begin that relationship today. He invites you to.